So I says to the guy, I says to him, we got this mummy over here. <laughs> I can't fucking keep going. This anyway, uh, hi, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And like I says to the guy, we're going to be talking about the 1959, the mummy. That's what I said. <laughs> Not to be confused with the 1932, the mummy. <laughs> what, wow. what year was the Brendan Fraser? 99? Uh, I think you're right. Or the uh, 24? 14? When was the Tom Cruise one? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember, but yeah, yeah, there's variations. But we are specifically talking about the 1959. Hammer, Mummy, starring. Well, um, we'll get into that. Yeah, of course, but still. Before that, we got green hits to do. We got to get smoking some weed. Oh, yeah. As we always do. We've already started smoking some weed, as we usually do. <laughs> Danny, what did you bring me today? Awesome. So, no stranger to the show, we did go by, or at least I did go by Flower, and picked up a pack of Hellenback, which is a hybrid strain. It is 50-50, so it's right down the middle. But this was created through a potent cross of the infamous animal cookies in Georgia pine strains. It says that uh, this is a super popular strain in Southern California. So the effects, you'll feel aroused, a little giggly, relaxed, sleepy, tingly and uplifted. This does help with chronic pain, depression, fatigue, insomnia, and stress. The flavors are cherry, pine, sour, and sweet, and the aromas are earthy, lemon, nutty, pine, and pungent. The numbers, for those who are curious, if you look on All Bud, it shows it at like 20%, but at Flower, theirs is coming in at 29%. Hell yeah, and I also stopped through Flower earlier. I went and grabbed some ghost cookies. Now, ghost cookies, cross between ghost OG and Girl Scout cookies, hybrid, ghost is a little bit more on indica for sure. Relaxing, but creative. Some peppery notes, citrusy, a little bit of herbal. Should be a good time. I think we've enjoyed it. I've, I'm pretty sure I've brought it in in the past. I can't yeah, remember for sure. I think we both have, but regardless, it's a good strain. I do want to make two other shout-outs, though, as far as weed goes, because I also picked up some of their new strain, Duct Tape, which I had a bowl of earlier and I really enjoyed. Duct Tape's cross between Dosey Dose and Gorilla Glue, number four. And on the Gorilla Glue train, I think I should end up having one of these for you pretty soon. But yesterday, we went and checked out the Forever Purge, and the joint that I smoked beforehand, I will shout out because we have a new coworker that works part-time at one of the dispensaries in town. And so he ended up gifting me a Gorilla Glue joint from Mile High. Ooh, nice. And I rather enjoyed it. It was oh, yeah. a really good J. It was also supposedly only half a gram, but that thing was rolled fatty boom batty. So hey, we're down with that. Um, that makes me think I might have to check out more of their shit. Nice. And I think he said that he should have one coming your way, too, after he found out what we do on this show. So Awesome, dude. Well, I'll be on the lookout for that. And to go along with that, because I mentioned we smoked that before we went and watched The Forever Purge, I will take this opportunity to pimp us out and <laughs> mention the fact that we do have a Patreon now. It'd be super awesome if you went and like joined on, or at least went and checked it out. If you go check it out, please note that for the public, we do have a poll open for what kind of content you would like to see from our Patreon. But for the moment, you can get episodes a week early. You could have been listening to this last week. I know. Where are you at? And that's just on our basic. We have other shit from there on, including things like at our $4 tier. 
you can listen to what we think of the Forever Purge. Yeah, exactly. Anytime we go catch movies, we'll let you know what we think about them afterwards. That's going to be for our patrons. Guess what? You guys go all out, you get a fucking sticker, and you can talk to us on Discord. I don't even have a sticker. I don't have a sticker. Go get a sticker before us. Patreon.com slash fried squirms. And I think with that, probably move on to the guts and bolts. What do you think? I'm ready. Guts and bolts. Alright, guts and bolts. 1959 Hammer Mummy. Start off with your spoiler-free setup. A expedition in Egypt has found the tomb of an Egyptian princess that they were after. After being warned by a local that things might go wrong for them should they open it, they open it and things start to go wrong. What do you know? <laughs> and then continue to go wrong even when they like kind of go back home. It's true. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah, so with that, of course, we'd like to talk about the people who are going to make in the film and the actors and actresses involved. And this week is a director we've actually talked about before. We are talking about Terrence Fisher. And Mr. Fisher, if those who listened to us way back when listened to episode 28, we talked about him because he directed The Devil Rides Out. And along with that, you talk about some really cool works, most notably a lot of stuff with Hammer, go figure. But some of those other bodies of work include such things as The Curse of Frankenstein. He helped with the 1958 Dracula, also known as Horror of Dracula. He helped with The Revenge of Frankenstein, The Hound of the Baskervilles, The Man Who Could Cheat Death, The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, The Brides of Dracula, The Curse of the Werewolf, The Phantom of the Opera from 1962, The Gorgon from 1964. How many of these are with Cushing and Lee? Oh, I want to say he <laughs> collaborated with Lee. I think this film was like his 13th collaboration. Right. And between Lee and Cushing, this was their 14th, I think. Whew. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it is. It really is. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. When I saw the name, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrence Fisher. Pretty awesome. We've talked about him before. All right. So the screenplay was written by Jimmy Sangster. And Mr. Sankster, one of those guys, once again, worked with Hammer. You Hence some you of these films. But you ain't working. <laughs> wankster. But you never caught <laughs> He is no wankster. Look at some of these films, man. So he helped write the screenplay for The Curse of Frankenstein, 1958's Dracula, The Revenge of Frankenstein, Blood of the Vampire, 1959's Jack the Ripper, 1959's The Man Who Could Cheat Death, The Brides of Dracula. He did the 1963 film Maniac. He also helped with Dracula, Prince of Darkness. That's in the 1966 film. And A Taste of Evil, along with the horror of Frankenstein. So he actually helped direct and produce some of these other films as well. All right, moving forward, we have a couple of editors. We have Alfred Cox and James Need. So I'll start with Mr. Cox. A few films of note from this gentleman. He helped on The Phantom of the Opera from 1962, The Curse of the Werewolf, The Brides of Dracula. This should be a warning to everybody, even though this is a film, but never take candy from a stranger. Hmm. He also helped on The Hound of the Baskervilles and The Revenge of Frankenstein. And Mr. Needs, if I read this correctly, I believe he was like the supervising editor, even though you don't necessarily seem credited, but that's what he did. A few films of note from him. He helped on the films The Quartermass Experiment, 
Quarter Mass Part Two and the 1966 film The Witches and Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde from 1971. Hmm. Okay. All right. The music was composed by Franz Reisenstein. It's morning time. <laughs> but Mr. Reisenstein, a few films of note from him. He helped with The White Trap in Circus of Horrors. This was produced by Michael Carreras. The production company, of course, was Hammer Film Productions. Distributors were rank film distributors for the 1959 United Kingdom theatrical release and Universal International helped for the 1959 United States theatrical release. The release dates on this, there's a few dates. We have September 25th, 1959 in the United Kingdom and December 16th, 1959 here in the States. Had an estimated budget of 125,000 pounds. I don't know what that translates to, to today's currency. Now, there's a couple of taglines in this film, and the one that I pulled, but I do want to read the other ones. So the one that I pulled is, Torn from the Tomb to Terrify the World. It's like, all right, I like that one. But uh, when I was reading about this film, if you look at some of the ones that are on the poster, they're kind of kind of cheesy. But for the time period, yeah, what do you? it's called Nerve Shattering Shock. That's right. All new in Technicolor. But those aren't the ones I wanted to read. There was one in particular I was like, all right, I need to talk about this one. <laughs> all right, this is the one that I liked, and I didn't write it down. But the second one I was thinking about was, It's Evil Look Brings Madness. It's evil spell enslaves. It's evil touch kills, kills, kills. <laughs> oh, that's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. All right, so moving into our cast. We've already talked about one of these gentlemen ad nauseum. We briefly mentioned another gentleman, a couple different reasons why, but... I'm going to lead off with Mr. Cushing, and that is Peter Cushing, who plays the role of John Banning in the film. And as if he really needs an introduction, but... Due to the reach of these movies, most people are probably going to recognize Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. Very true. That's probably where most people, at least across the pond, like our age, probably saw him. Now, he was a draw in Star Wars because of his previous career, but I'm going to bet that most people don't remember... Like most of the rest of his career. I mean, just for instance, he played Dr. Von Helsing and Sherlock Holmes in such films as Dracula from 58. He played Sherlock Holmes in The Hound of the Baskervilles. He played Van Helsing again in The Brides of Dracula. He's been Baron Frankenstein Jesus. in six of the seven Hammer Frankenstein That's films. crazy. So there's that. Yeah, he's also in The Gorgon as well. Doctor Who and the Daleks is Doctor Who in 65. That's awesome. Yeah, he was in the Island of Terror back in 66 as well. Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD from 66. That's crazy. Dracula AD 72 and the Satanic Rites of Dracula, where he played Lauren Moore Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Guess who he played in that? Professor Van Helsing. <laughs> He's also in Top Secret. That's awesome, yeah. Bookstore proprietor. With young Val Kilmer, yeah. Wow. He's the one, you've seen Val Kilmer. Yeah. It's Top Secret, right? So with the magnifying glass. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy, man. And then he pulls it away, and it's just that his eye is that size. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. And man. so it's the entire, like, reverse scene, too. There was a couple of those films during that time period. I think maybe, you, for me, it was probably, like, late 80s, early 90s when Spy Ooh. Hard and all that mm -hmm. stuff was coming out. Yeah. That I kind of started watching those. All right. Here's a gentleman we've talked about on three episodes. I'm talking about Christopher Lee. plays the role of Karis or the Mummy. Same person, essentially. But we talked about him 
back on episode 28 when we reviewed The Devil Rides Out. Episode 31, that was Jess Franco's Count Dracula. And episode 82 with The Wicker Man. It feels weird that it's been so long since we've talked about it. Dude. 82 was the fucking Wicker Man? It doesn't make any sense, but it was. I would have told you it was like 170. I know. that Because that's one of those ones that feels like just yesterday. I want to say that would, would have been like three years ago. That's fucking insane. <laughs> Time flies, dude. It's wild. What? I know. We haven't talked about the Wicker Man in that long? I know it. But I do remember, and that's probably a good reason why people should go back and listen to a few of these episodes, because we talked about his distinguished career and all these really cool facts. And Christopher Lee might be one of the most interesting men to have ever lived. Are you fucking kidding me, man? It's crazy, dude. Just off the top of my head. Like you said, if you want to hear us suck fucking his old dick, <laughs> you can go back to those episodes and listen to it. But just off the top of my head, he attended the last public execution in France by guillotine. He met two of Rasputin's assassins. Wow. Just in the course of his normal life. Talk about dogs. Not even like... Like, due to the fact that he would later play Rasputin. And that has nothing to do with his career. I remember we talked about his time that he served in the British intelligence. Yeah, he was in the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. That's crazy, dude. I can't remember the actual name for that group, but... Oh, the Special Operations Executive Branch. I mean, he's Saruman. He's fucking Count Dooku. He released right. a heavy metal album over yeah, the age of that's 80. fucking awesome. He can trace his ancestry to Charlemagne. <laughs> We're not talking about Charlemagne the God. Right. <laughs> Big difference. Like his second cousin or something like that was Robert Ely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about some really random-ass cool facts about him. Another one I remember you talked about, too, was can he marry, like, into Swedish royalty? Yeah. Jeez. Man's a fucking legend. Oh, yeah. Fuck that most interesting guy in the world bullshit commercial. We're talking about Christopher Lee here. And often start alongside Cushing, as we kind of already pointed out. I think this is either their 13th or 14th collaboration, this film. They were a thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If there was a man crush back then, that would have been it. I believe. If you will. I believe he's in the Guinness Book World Records for being the tallest leading man. Yeah. Because of the sheer amount of times he was a lead actor in a movie being like 6'4", 6'5". I remember another one you talked about was like he had the most, I think, sword duels or some shit like that. Yeah. In film. It was something crazy like that. I was like, what? What is going on? One film I do want to give a shout out to. We haven't covered the franchise. We've talked about an actress who's involved in the first film. But growing up, a film I do remember him from, believe it or not, was The Howling Part 2, My Sister is a Werewolf. I remember that movie for a couple different reasons. Whenever, If we ever get around to it, I'll definitely mention them then. It'd be too much of a spoiler right now. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, damn, that was Christopher Lee in that film. So anyhow, yeah, distinguished career. We've talked about him, like I said, ad nauseum. All right, moving along, we have Yvonne Furneaux. She plays the role of Isabel Banning and Princess Ananka. Now, a few things from her career. She's actually been in some really interesting things. So if you go back and you looked past this film, she was in such things as La Dolce Vita. She was in Night Train to Milan, The Secret of Dr. Mabuse, The Champagne Murders, and Frankenstein's Great Aunt Tilly from 1984. That sounds fucking wild. What the fuck? I don't know anything about... Oh, she was also in 1965's Repulsion. I need to mention that because that was a Roman Polanski film. 
Yo, bro, this sounds a lot of fun. Frankenstein's Great Aunt Tilly is a comedy film about Frankenstein based in Transylvania. It's Castle Frankenstein has been empty for years, and the local council is planning to repossess it when the Frankenstein family returns, seeking to find a hidden treasure and trying to reanimate the monster. Donald Pleasance is old Victor Frankenstein. Yvonne Freneau is in it, as we just said, is Tilly Frankenstein. Zsa Zsa Gabor's in it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Damn. Didn't we just talk about her a couple weeks ago? Yeah. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that might be one down the road. All right, we have Eddie Byrne. He plays the role of Inspector Mulrooney. And a few things of note from him. He was actually in the 1957 Dunkirk film. He was also in the 1958 Jack the Ripper film I just mentioned earlier. He was in the 1962 The Running Man. Don't be confused. He was in Devils of Darkness back in 65, Island of Terror back in 66. He was also in Star Wars in 1977 as General Willard. And he voiced... This was his final film role, Hoof and the Thief and the Cobbler from 1993. We have Felix Eilmer, who plays the role of Stephen Banning. And this gentleman had a very distinguishing career. I mean, it goes way back, dude. But let's see here. Which decade do we want to start with? (laughs) I want to try to go to one that we actually know. And the reason I'm going to bring this up because I was like, oh, I have to talk about this. Or because we both know it. There it is. Okay. So the reason I wanted to bring this particular role up is because he was in the 1949 Alice in Wonderland where he voiced Dr. Lytle and the Cheshire Cat. He was the fucking Cheshire Cat? That's dope. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, what the hell? A few other things he was in. He was in Ivanhoe from 1952. I think some people are probably familiar with that. So he was also a part of the 1963 The Running Man film I just mentioned earlier. He was in 19 episodes of Oh Brother from 68 through 70. And he was also the narrator in The Thief and the Cobbler, mm. which that was released posthumously for him. So but this guy had a career. I mean, it spanned all the way back to the 30, like 1930, like for real. And that's crazy, dude. So the last two guys we've mentioned both had posthumous roles in The Thief and the Cobbler. <laughs> Ah, yeah. (laughs) That's kind of fucked up. I know, right? We have Raymond Huntley plays the role of Joseph Wemple, who he is the uncle to Peter Cushing's character and the brother to the gentleman I just mentioned, Felix Elmer, Stephen Banning's character in the film. All right, a couple things of note from him. They're like, so this guy goes way back. Here's something I was reading. I thought this was really cool. So check this out. This guy was involved with a lot of stage and England. Okay. Right? It said he subsequently inherited the role of Count Dracula from Edmund Blake in Hamilton Dean's touring adaptation of Dracula, which arrived at London's Little Theater on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 1927. And it says subsequently transferring to the larger Duke of York's theater, right? Said he had or he was offered the chance to reprise his role on Broadway, but he declined. And guess who took the role? Lee. Close. I think, uh, well, I don't know, I'm kind of going with it. Bella Lugosi. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and so this is, uh, this is a quote by him. He says, I have always considered the role of Count Dracula to have been an indiscretion of my youth. I'll be honest, Lugosi probably wouldn't have been like my, my, like my fourth pick. My next pick after that would have been Lon Chaney Sr. Okay, yeah, like you would have been along mm-hmm. the right lines, but it's like, damn, that's crazy, dude. Like, so this guy goes back to the 30s, so I don't have to necessarily bring up all those films because I don't know any of them. So it does kind of look like most of the films that he was involved in were 
adaptations from stage. So that's probably why I don't recognize a bunch of them. But yeah, he had a very extensive career. All right, we have George Pastel plays the role of Mehmet Bey. And another one of those gentlemen had a really cool career. He was in such things as the Stranglers of Bombay. You might've seen him in Conga. He was in Masters of Venus from 1962. Tarzan's Three Challenges, where he voiced Khan, even though he went uncredited from 1963. He was also a part of the 1963 Maniac. And then this is where he really got some really cool roles. He was in 1963's From Russia With Love. Oh, I bet that's... I was like, this guy looks familiar. And it's because I've seen From Russia Love and License to Kill. Yeah, he was also in such things as Khartoum. He was in The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from 1964. Yeah, like I said, some really cool things. But I think most notable in the film She, I do want to mention that because that was kind of a big film. I think we talked about that a few weeks ago, too, briefly. Mm. All right, there's a few other people that do have some credits in this. I didn't necessarily write them down, but I can kind of go over them really quick we have michael ripper plays one of the poachers and just looking at a few things of him another one of those guys it was in a mainstay in hammer films because you look at things like the camp on blood island the revenge of frankenstein the brides of dracula captain clegg the scarlet blade the reptile the plague of the zombies and the mummy shroud so a bevy of films there just in the hammer studio catalog so, all right, so we have George Woodbridge, who plays the police constable Blake. Harold Goodwin as Pat and Dennis Shaw as Mike. Those two were the other, like, transporters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. so that kind of rounds out the cast and crew. You to give us a brief setup. We should give you some warnings. Warnings. A mummy again. Yeah, another mummy film. This one, I would say... Gunplay? There's gunplay. This one might be a little bit more violent. I, I would say it's arguable, but I was saying this, it might be a stretch, but I would say only maybe only because there is some sort of squib hits on the mummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. But oh, I guess they do a little bit more choking in this. Yeah, ah, man, it's a toss up, though. No, no, that's like you're kind of nitpicking here. I'm not saying you, but mm-hmm. us in general. Christopher Lee and Brownface. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> a lot, well, no, he's not the only one. He's not the only one. <laughs> I'm not saying it like, as like an excuse, but yeah, there's, there is Brownface in this. I know. Shit. It's about it. Yeah. I mean, is there even language? Like I was going to say 1959. So no, no, maybe a dam or a hell. Yeah. At best. Maybe at best. At best. <laughs> maybe. I know that's, uh, We've probably already cussed more than they have in the oh, entire film. fucking 100% have. <laughs> I, I say we just get into how it made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? Okay, so I kind of mentioned it last week, but now that we're actually talking this week, and in case you didn't listen to last week, since I didn't bring it up in the technical section, I guess I'll bring it up here. Kind of a remake, kind of not. Even though it has the name The Mummy... It's not a direct remake of the one we covered last week, which I think when we're talking about this time period of movies is especially important to point out because people used to not care as much if you remade movies. That's a good point. Like, the version of Wizard of Oz that everyone thinks of, I think, is the fourth filmed version. There used to be an entire genre of radio hits known as standards because... Everyone covered them. Things having to be fucking original is a lot more of a modern idea. That's a solid point, yeah. That being said, 
this doesn't do that. Like, this isn't a straight-up remake. I've seen some people put it that this is a little bit more of a remake of, what is it, The Mummy's Hand from yeah. 1940. And then some other people will go even further and say, well, it's actually The Mummy's Hand combined with The Mummy's Tomb and The Mummy's Ghost then topped off with bits of the 1932 movie. Yeah, so you got a sprinkling of 30s and 40s influence, specifically from Universal. Yeah, it's basically you take all of the Universal mummy movies and mash them into one, and supposedly you get this. I can't say that for certain, because I haven't watched all of them. I was going to ask, did you just do the mash? I did the monster mash. (laughs) (laughs) He did the mash, people. It was a graveyard smash. (laughs) Right now it is. So, yeah, you're right. So it's a combination of a couple of different films, even though it might have, like you were saying earlier, some sprinklings in from last week's episode. It's not intended to be last no. week's episode. No, 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 no. Which, I mean, I'm okay with is that. fine. Yeah, I think in this case it works both for and against it. For, because last week's episode <laughs> was also basically just Dracula. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and that's, ag- that's what it is. And against, because, like... It's not necessarily any better. <laughs> I was about to say the same. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, even 20-something years later, I wouldn't blow my skirt up or nothing. All right, so I guess this might be my sort of hot take and my overall squeal from this. Like, I went into this, like, kind of, like, excited for it after how utterly watchable, like, the 30s one was. Yeah. And, like, we've had problems with some of these older movies pacing and stuff in the past and just the way that the acting is and how it all plays out. But after the 32 one kind of bucked that trend, like, I was going in there rooting for this one. Yeah. I kind of didn't fucking care. I know what you're saying there, too, because I I (laughs) had the same enthusiasm for this one, knowing who was involved, you know, Terrence Fisher directing, Christopher Lee as The Mummy... And Peter Cushing, like, all right, that's a nice little trio of people right there, you know, and everybody else we've already mentioned. But, uh, yeah, this one was like, eh, 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 whatever. <laughs> Lee barely gets anything to do. Yeah. And, in fact, the segment where he gets the most to do is one of the most boring, drawn-out segments of the movie. I know, it, dude. Cushing is great, but... It's neither one of these gentlemen's final roles. Right. And... Other than maybe one other person, I would say, like, Cushing is maybe, like, heads and shoulders above the rest of the cast. That's a solid point, yeah. But he's not really being given much. No, the characters are pretty fucking basic. I kind of am really surprised at how much more I enjoyed the 30s one over one starring fucking Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I know it. I think, for me, maybe a little bit of my liking the older one, too... Had to do with something you brought up was the fact that Zita Johan, mm-hmm. like her character, she didn't need any of the guys in the film. She handled that shit by herself. The film would have been over <laughs> with sooner if they would have just let her alone. Yeah, we mentioned that. It, was like, it could have been a short film. The rest of the dudes just fucked off. <laughs> this one, just kind of standard. It's just like choke out party. <laughs> this is using a little bit of Mohammed Bey, where he said, mm-hmm. let's get the infidels. <laughs> basically what this There's three dudes we need to take out. Desecrators, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. So that was it. I mean, that was basically it. It's like, all right. Yeah, and I don't know. There's a part of this. This is one of those situations where 
in some ways it's a little bit unfair. I will say, so we mentioned last week, like, I think when people think of what the mummy looks like, they think of what we first see Boris Karloff right. looking like in the coffin. I agree. However, the action most people think of is more what happens in this movie. Right. Absolutely. That's a good point. If they would have made Christopher <laughs> Lee look like Boris Karloff in that uh, coffin, it probably would have been a lot better. Dude, this mummy doesn't look good. No. Dude, I was just like, that was disappointing as doesn't shit. It, it's just like a bog monster. Swamp monster. When it's the swamp monster, it's when it looks the best in this entire movie. Right. When yeah. those rags are clean, it looks bad. No, you're, yeah, it does. I'm just like, eh, don't really care too much about this version of the mummy. But, oh yeah, so yeah, so most people think of that look, they think of this action. It's weird, right? Like, yeah, the combination that they could have gone with, but neither one picked it up. <laughs> now, some of the writing in this, though, was a little bit clever. After in the beginning, when like homies, like, yo, in five days, we might be looking at a Nanka herself. Just knowing how movies play out, I'm like, yeah, you're all right, yeah, you're probably right. And even when you go home to Britain, you're going to be looking at Ananka Reborn. Precisely. Essentially. Although that's never made explicit in this one, is that? No, it's not. She just bears a resemblance. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this kind of uncanny resemblance. They don't really lean too heavy into it like they did last week. Mm-mm. Which, whatever. so why? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I know the point I was eventually going to make. This is one of those ones where it's a little bit unfair. Because I was getting into the action okay, and what actually gotcha. happens in this. It's kind of like, and we've brought this up. When something happens for no reason in a movie and somebody says, well, that reason is ghosts, we both make the jerk-off motion. But if they say it's Satan, we're both like, yeah. This is like, this action happens in this movie and it's a mummy looking like Christopher Lee does in this movie and I don't give a shit. But if the action in this movie happened and it was Michael Myers, oh shit, it's a lot more interesting. Yeah, you're like, And oh, I realize yeah. that's kind of unfair, but... But that's what it is. All right, so I think I told you just a little while ago, there was something that this film does that I don't think I've... Well, I can't say that necessarily, that I don't remember the last time we've seen it, if we have seen it. And now I'm going to jump all the way to the end. Okay. Where Christopher Lee, you know, as Karis, the mummy, mm-hmm. winds up doing like an inverted backbreaker on Mehmet Bay. I was like, that's what we're missing from horror movies is some wrestling finishing moves like that. I was like, and I wasn't just like an, a regular old backbreaker. It's like an inverted one. Yeah. Well, I was oh. like, damn. Okay. I'm on board. <laughs> right. And I was like, man, hold on. If no one has already done that, that might be something to jump on board with for a slasher. This guy's out there, backbreakers and pile drivers. There we go. I'm just saying, it's an opportunity to do it and I wouldn't be opposed to it a wrestling horror right. movie that's <laughs> like a wrestling horror movie I'm just saying if you're gonna have a slasher and you <laughs> make someone brutal I'd love to see a wrestling finisher that'd be like what the fuck did I just see <laughs> yo uh, Undertaker ain't doing anything else these days I know Kane's been in some horror films but I know finishing moves that I'm aware of if we have fucking an actually lethal tombstone pile driver <laughs> just saying just saying <laughs> Right. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, I'm just trying to find some like some things that I, I enjoyed. Maybe like and it's go, not that this movie's terrible. It's not terrible. It's not. But you know, when you do back to back like we've done with them, 
it's amazing how much of a step back it feels like, right? Yeah, because I'm like, this one, uh, I mean, it doesn't really present anything that we honestly didn't really see last week. You know, there's a few things here and there with gunplay and shit like that, but that's just whatever. Let's go lightly through it. Maybe things will get jogged. We got the beginning. They find the shit. It was kind of nice that they just got straight into it again. You start the movie right when they're finding shit. Yeah. They're immediately going in, checking out the tomb. There was something that I did like. I kind of like not fucking around and getting to it. Bay, Mohammed Bay, Mm -hmm. he shows up and he doesn't really have much credit at all. So they dismiss him, the two guys. That is Stephen Banning and Joseph Wemple. But Mohammed tells them, and he says it in Egyptian, Arabic. Mm -hmm. He says, he who robs the graves of Egypt dies. So he's laying it out for them. You know, and you're right. They go in, they find it. I do like some of the use of the colors that they do. They do like some really cool things with greens and reds, things like that, with lighting in the film. This ends up being in the context of the movie, so it's not like I'm just bringing it up because fucking thinking of how things play out nowadays. Because, like, Mehmet fucking calls out Peter Cushing in the British Museum later in the movie in a pretty big way. That I guess that was the surprising part of the movie, is, like, he lays into him, <laughs> and you kind of realize back in the day that... Most audiences probably walked away thinking that, like, Peter Cushing was right. Yeah, no, right. But, like, listen to this guy's arguments. Mehmet's right. Wow. That's very true. It is a double-edged sword there. But in the beginning, that sort of reminds me, because when he first shows up, it's kind of that thing where, like, I'm kind of on the side of, like, hey, scientists, when you're going out and, like, studying these things... Also make sure to listen to what the fucking locals are telling yeah. you. Yeah, They have history, and a lot of it is handed down traditionally. But also, I kind of understand, like, not listening to somebody talking about a death curse. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Get the fuck out of here. In the world of a horror movie, okay, a death curse yeah, has a possibility I mean, of coming true, of which course. is why we watch these movies. But, like, thinking about the real-world examples... Yes, you need to listen to the locals, but, like, I'm going to kind of ignore a death curse, too. Yeah. At least one like that. If <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're saying. At best, like, maybe I'm, like, taking better readings of the air going in, making sure it doesn't have some sort of microbe that's going to kill me. But. Oh, dude. Yeah, exactly. But outside of that, like, for instance, there was something, it didn't bother me, but I was like, wow. Maybe it goes a little bit into what Bay was saying to Peter Cushing and how they just detonated yeah. You know, the tomb, like, damn, you didn't really have to do that. Right. <laughs> but they did. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's kind of fucked up. So stuff like that lent its hand. And what he said, he wasn't wrong. So maybe that's what it was doing. Now, this isn't the fault of the movie. It just gave me a chance to, like, say this because so many movies don't have it, including this one. Like, scientists are nerds. So when a nerd finds something that they've been searching for for, like, oh, dude. 20 years, you're going to see a nerd get really happy in the way only a nerd can. Yeah, probably And, like, spaz. way too many of these movies don't show that. Yeah, like, when, oh. Inclu- cool. Like I said, including this one, and I'm not right. saying it's only this one. But, no, you're right. There's they don't show that when somebody who's been searching for something for 20 years finally finds it. For some, it's like a holy grail moment. Mm-hmm. You know, a eureka moment. So, yeah, you're going to show some emotion. Way too often you get something like this where they're just weirdly enthralled. Yeah. When you're, it's like, no, dude, like, this is, you just won the Super Bowl moment. Like, I'm going to Disneyland. Holy shit. You're going to fucking be whooping and hollering. 
Yeah. Your son knows. You don't have to send your boy to go tell your son because he's going to hear your fucking shouts from inside Hooting the tube. Hooting and hollering, yeah. He's going to hear. Broken leg and all, doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, he's going to see what's up. So something that the film does, well, I thought at least, was in that moment where John Banning, played by Peter Cushing, when his father is in the tomb of mm-hmm. the princess, he and his uncle, Joseph Wemple, Joseph is like, I'm going to go ahead and tell John, you know, about the discovery. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And then, you know, the dad has his moment. We kind of, we already know that he's likely he saw the mummy. That's why he had his breakdown. Yeah. But later on in the film, they do wrap it back around and show you what happened and how your boy shows up with the scroll of life. Because that was something I noticed too, was like when he was outside, maybe influencing the mummy at that point. I don't know to what degree, because he was still praying to Karnak. Yeah. You know, but at some point, yeah, he started really having a, a heavy hand on how the mummy was going after these people. I did think I missed something the first time through when you didn't see the mummy frighten him to death. And then I'm like, oh, no, they're just playing this like they're going to. The name of the movie is The Mummy. You don't have to fucking hide it from us. But like, okay, yeah, I get it. Whatever. They're playing the hidden hand. Yeah, we get it. I was not expecting the way that the mummy came into the nursing home. When he got the old guy, Yo. I was like, what the fuck? That was crazy. <laughs> so you realize <laughs> this is a mummy attacking a dude in a nursing home. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? That blew my it's mind for a second. Up. I'm like, like, did he, is that on purpose at all? <laughs> I could see Coscarelli doing something You know like what I mean? Yeah. There it is. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder how many people don't realize how accurate Bubba Hotep is in that case. <laughs> That's pretty funny, dude. Yeah, like this is mummies attacking men in nursing homes is well established mummy lore, all the way back at least to 1959. Yeah, we've got it there, and we've got it what 2003, whatever it was for Bubba Hotep two one like that. From now on, I'm not going to accept any mummy fiction unless it attacks a nursing home at least once. Right, can't trust it. Can't trust it. <laughs> It's it's wandering too far off the tropes at that point. Unless that mummy goes after a fucking geriatric, I ain't buying it. Yeah, we're not buying it. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, the way he goes in there and attacks the old guy, I was like, damn, that was okay. Damn, Christopher Lee. So I already kind of ragged on how the mummy looks. But how bad is it that the best the mummy <laughs> looks in the entire movie is how it looks when it's covered in mud that looks kind of like doo-doo butter? I know. You're right. It has more menacing presence. You're right when you said that when it's clean, it's just like, whatever, dude. I mean, when it's clean, you can literally see how the costume was made. Yeah. It's like a pair of pants that look like the bandages, and then what looks like an infant's onesie that I would not be surprised actually has a fucking crotch snap (laughs) to make it fit around those leggings the way it does. Yeah. So you can see the creases in his legs. Oh, yeah, you could tell. At all times. And all uh, you have to do is make the bandages look ratty so that they're kind of falling down over that crease. You they, couldn't even, they didn't even do that shit. Yeah, come it's on, him. It's that simple of a fucking fix, dude. Somebody dropped the ball. Big time. costume. And then, like, and then you have Christopher Lee in a non-speaking role. Yeah, for most of the film, not until you get the flashback sequence. So I'm convinced that's the only reason that flashback sequence is as long as it is, is because they realized they had to have fucking 
Christopher Lee actually acting at some point in yeah. this movie because he's Christopher L. fucking Lee and an amazing actor and a giant fucking draw. Yeah, come on, dude. Yeah, you want to see him talk and act like. Yeah, he's acting as the mummy. He's doing physical acting, of course, but. But eh. Yeah. He's mostly dealing with the fact that he got hurt on set. Dude, I was reading all about that. It's like he was getting fucked up. <laughs> For this too, I know. like. You dislocate your shoulder for this, bro. Yeah, threw his back out too. That one of the doors wasn't he like banging up his legs on the fucking pipes that created yeah, the fucking swamp. Said he couldn't swamp. see in the water. He dislocated his shoulder when he smashed through the door. Like mm-hmm. one of the stuntmen, I guess, or props guys bolted it shut. So there's moments where when he actually gets hurt, they kept it. Oh, yeah, when he busts through the door, that's the take that fucking hurt him. Yeah, I'm like damn. You really couldn't tell because there was a perspective shot in this film where it made Mehmet Bay look really, really small in comparison to Christopher Lee when they're mm-hmm. in the home. And I was like, God damn, Christopher Lee is a big dude. Yeah. Oh, dude, his legs go all the way up. I'm like, Jesus. That fucking mummy costume just emphasized how short of a torso he had for how long fucking legs. Yeah, I hate to catch one upside the head from him. Jesus. I'll take him in that mummy costume over the awkwardness of seeing Christopher Lee in brownface. Oh, shit. I know. That was weird. I don't know why they did that. Even, like, the dude playing Mehmet was English. Was yeah. he Cyprian? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he was from Cyprus. Cyprus. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, like, kind of like what you were saying last week, too, with Noble Johnson. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a weird name to have. <laughs> but... It's like, uh, I mean, okay, maybe the time, but still, I don't know. Well, and it's even weirder because during that flashback sequence, there are black actors in that sequence. Of course. And, like, people of color actors, because I don't think all of them were black looking at some of them, but some of them definitely weren't white. Oh, yeah, you're right. But, like, 65% of them are people in brown face. I know. What Except, doing? like... A lot of the other, like, nobles and priests kind of just looked white. Yeah. So why, like, if you're letting them be white, like, just let Christopher Lee be white. I know, dude. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking back then. And there's some decently white-looking Egyptians, like, if we're going to talk just about how people look. Without a doubt. Like, they have an insane range. Egyptians have an insane range. Yeah, you're right. So it's not out of the realm, you know. You don't have to darken them up that much. Yeah, just just give him the the eyeliner. Yeah, exactly. give him the guy liner. We all <laughs> yeah. we all know what you're getting at. I <laughs> mean, I fun. get this is 59, but like, but still, I know what you're saying if, if we're just kind of nitpick a little bit. But I was gonna say the flashback might be one of my favorite moments in the film because it's like, all right, at least we're getting somewhere here, dude. I did think it was drawn out too long. With how little he's given to do, Christopher Lee emotes the fuck out of those scenes with his eyes. Yeah, like he, does. he is exhibiting true sorrow that his fucking lady love has passed and he's having to preside over these ceremonies yeah it's like all right so this was 59 wicker man was like early 70s Mm -hmm. i can see where some of that culty kind of stuff comes into play now Mm -hmm. like he already has some experience with some of this shit the rituals the rites he was doing he was on point it's like yeah i like some of this yeah he looked genuinely sad to me yeah emoting through his eyes it was incredible that being said, Karis goes out like a bitch <laughs> compared to Boris Karloff. He didn't even fight back. No, he's just like, all right. All That's right, the part where I almost say that 
the 32 one is more violent. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And compared to how they were both mummified, Boris Korloff is like, whoa, he put up a struggle. Uh-huh. The other dude, he's just like, all right, you're a golem now. Just go ahead and hang out here. They also busted in on him when he was one word away from completing the ritual. <laughs> just fucking say it, bro. I know. He's like, oh, you got me. Psych. <laughs> just like them walking in the room doesn't stop you from saying the word. Bring her back to life. I know. She's the princess. She can tell them to fuck off. Precisely. But no, he didn't. He fucked up. That's on him. It's on him, bro. I'm trying to think. The two guys, the transporters... They were some decent side addition like characters. They were pretty decent in what they had to do, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe a little comic relief, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, outside, like I said, it was a pretty straightforward film. You know, one of the things that impressed me, all except for one thing in this movie, I thought those sets looked great. Oh yeah, the detail on like the hieroglyphs etched into the walls and all that shit, it looked way too new. And like, oh, that's the first thing I thought when they first entered the tomb of the princess. It's like, even perfectly preserved, it looked yeah, too new. It's like, that's too fresh. But it looked good. Yeah, you can't complain there or argue with that. Very good artistry put into it, except whoever they let design that fucking statue of Karnak. <laughs> yeah. Bro, the face on that. It wasn't the greatest. I give you that. It looked like the fucking. The Doge face from the goddamn meme. Yeah. It's the goddamn Shima Inu. That's too funny, Dan. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what they had going on. <laughs> so, this is another one of those ones where the acting style is just kind of overall different. It's kind of hard to judge some of the performances based on what we see in modern movies, just because they're not being told by the director to give that kind of performance. You know what right. I mean? Except for one guy. Like, to me, the inspector felt a lot more like a modern actor. He felt a lot more like he was in character rather than acting as a character. That's a good point, yeah. Compared to everybody else, his was like... He felt very naturalistic. He wasn't afraid to, like, halfway step on fucking Peter Cushing's lines and, like, sort of actually lean over and, like use himself physically within the scene and like actually like he's not actually chewing the scenery no, but compared but... to everyone else he might as well be like i said i think peter cushing a far and away is the best actor in this movie but he doesn't feel like he's giving a naturalistic performance no and you can definitely tell you can feel it in the film right it's like if this is like his 13th or 14th collab you know at, at a certain point it's got to be like just kind of going through the motions mm-hmm you know, it's like, as long as I do my job, get my lines, do a solid job, I'm good. And he does. He has his moments, but it wasn't anything, like, spectacular or anything like that, you know? I brought it up earlier, but I was actually pretty impressed with that fucking, the conversation back and forth between Mehmet and Cushing. No, that was good. That was solid. Yeah. Him pointing out, like, don't you think it's a little bit fucked up that, like, you're taking our ancestors yeah. that were buried in a very sacred way? And taking them out of the country and putting them on display for the world to see. Yeah, just people can go and stare at them in museums. He's like, studying them is one thing, but that's not what's going on here. It's like almost you're making a mockery, a scene of it, you know? It's like, yeah, it's interesting, all that stuff is, but it comes with a cost. I can't remember, I wish I would have written it down, but like, right at the very beginning of the conversation, he says something like, yeah, I'm into being a historian or something, not... Yeah. 
whatever. I can't even remember what he says, but like, yeah, they, he like was a asking about or something. Yeah, like he that. was asking about archaeology and stuff like that. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm an archaeologist, not like a businessman or something like that. And he lays it out from the beginning, like, yo, st- studying this is okay, right? But what you guys is doing? Like you said, they fucking they didn't have to blow that shit up once they were done no, with it. That's kind of surprising in a way. Like I said, it didn't shock me or nothing, but it's like, oh, what was the reasoning behind that? It's like, fuck it, we found it first. Ain't nobody else gonna touch it after us. I'm like, why, dude? We're just gonna take it back to England with us. That's why, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's what and we I can't, do. And I can't remember what else he all says, but basically everything up until him starting to threatening him is like all on point. Yeah, you're right. Because he's like. It's like bars. He's like, oh, he's spitting bars. He's spitting bars right now. <laughs> he's like, he's flaming his ass right now because he's he's making solid points. And you can understand what Cushing's character is saying, but it's not. It doesn't justify what they're doing. It's like, yeah, if it wasn't for, it's like, you're you not listening to what I'm saying. Like they were buried in sacred sites that you guys really have no business being here unless you're studying them. That's fine, but don't be doing all that stupid shit with these museums and all that other stuff. Pretty much ransacking it, stealing it, profiting, mm-hmm. all that other stuff. People should know. <laughs> Huge, probably black market for that kind of stuff, too. So there's that. And, of course, that's a modern perspective. But realistically, like, somebody should have been thinking about some of this shit. It's pretty fucked up. It is. Like I said, as cool as it is to see all that stuff, there's a cost that mm-hmm. a lot of us don't see or think about. Look, and if the sciences and the arts were properly invested in, there'd still be ways to do it show... Right. <laughs> Facsimiles, near perfect reproductions. Dude, I'd be fine with that. And ways that you could actually scan in all the different information and create computer simulations of these objects to be studied rather than having to fucking take them from their countries. Yeah, that's where it gets like, that's dodgy as fuck. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Especially like you were saying with modern technology, there's no excuse for us to keep doing with what we're doing. Back then, there was no excuse, but I kind of get it yeah. because of the mindset they were still in on a lot of things at oh. the time. Yeah, they're coming out of some fucked up shit. It's just it's not an excuse, no, but, but I understand. Helps. It. Yeah, perspective. But it's fucked up. It's, it is fucked up, but like we were saying, it's just And here's the thing, somebody knows it's fucked up because you can't write those speeches making right. those points without getting it, right? Yeah, you would think. If that wasn't I don't think happenstance. Like, oh, we're just going to write this in as arguments and like but you're making good arguments. <laughs> and they were already writing those in as arguments in the 32 version. Yeah, exactly. So somebody was paying attention. Anyway. <laughs> no, I think that's a good point, though. So that last bit, when Mehmet's like, I gotta grab the mummy and go take out this last fucker. Yep. Last two, I guess, right? Or no, it's he had just, already gotten the one at that yeah, point. Yeah, he, now he's in after Cushing. I'm skipping that far ahead. Right. Still... And, like, he goes in fucking knifing the first couple guys. Bro, with how hard the mummy's hitting people, just give that knife to the mummy. Oh, my god! He's going to be cutting people in half. Slicing dudes in half. Yeah. So that's all it was. He's like, boom, took that guy out, stabbed, took that guy out. It's like, man, this party is vanishing fast. I don't know. I guess, like, the end's fine. The mummy gets distracted by the fact that the chick looks kind of like his ex-lover. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of I would have liked that more if they would have made it explicit, like in the first one, that she's the reincarnation. Yeah, I mean, that's given within the first, what, 10 minutes of that film? Instead of just being like, yo, let your hair down. Yeah. He digs that. Oh, he's like, hold on, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Let your hair down. Okay, you know what's wild? (laughs) Look at this picture. That looked like you. (laughs) 
yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, they're maybe that's how they're going to tie that. That's the only reason. I mean, outside of what we've already talked about, there's connecting threads, but in this way, we got to put this in here somewhere. Look, I even saw like somebody else's review trying to paint her as like a proto like action female like she came in and saved the day and i'm like she wandered in the first time and like it wasn't made clear if it was coincidence or her being witty i'll even give it to her maybe she figured out that she could distract the fucking mummy right and that's fine but but then the second time is all cushing telling her what to do is that yo girl wake up (laughs) telling when you down (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) Since you're not just screaming, let me down, let me down. When you are the princess. <laughs> that was all him. Yeah, and, then, and it was still kind of lame sauce, because I'm like, that's all it took. So you can shoot a mummy to death? Yeah. In the bog, with the scroll of life. Okay. <laughs> that's that. That's a wrap. Cool. No puns, but yeah, I'm like... Cole. <laughs> yeah, they, even they, they were like, all right, fuck it, here, roll credits. Roll credits. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> we're fucking done. <laughs> and the mummy sinks and credits. And credits, yeah. And I'm like, all Was right. Was she even all the way out of the bog when the credits rolled? Yeah, 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 because it's the three of them. And when I say them, it's uh, the inspector, Peter Cushing, and Yvonne, Isabel, and mm-hmm. John, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that was that. I'm like, okay. Cool. I suppose, yeah, I mean... That was the cost that you paid, you know, three years later. Dad dies, your uncle dies. Yeah, it sucked for them. Yeah. They rolled anyway, fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) It was nice. I will say this. It it is nice to go and watch films like these once again. It does give me kind of a better understanding for cinema during that time period. And saying that, you know, they didn't have a problem with doing remakes or reimaginings and stuff. It wasn't a big deal. So hence... Why you see like tons of sequels and probably like we were just saying reimaginings and all that stuff. So, like I say, it was all right. Look, I feel like I just got done shitting on this a little bit yeah, too much. I'll bring up film, my favorite but, scene. There okay. was one thing I thought was done really, really well in this. It was super cool. I think it's the first time the mummy attacks Peter Cushing after it took out his uncle. Okay. Whereas almost all the other shots in this movie are presented very very much like a play which is something we've talked about occurs often with these older movies (laughs) because that's what some of these directors grew up with and so they're imitating what they saw exactly yeah they can't help it they're product of their times it's understandable when he first attacks peter cushing though and by that time cushing had grabbed the shotgun there's a shot that follows the mummy throwing open the doors as it comes in over his fucking shoulder and he goes straight for him and fucking pushes the shotgun barrel up out of the way and yeah. shoots it up towards the ceiling and they start wrestling. It looked modern and really fucking good. I will say this, Christopher Lee was pretty, I mean, it was like overly aggressive, but his character was pretty aggressive. Like mm-hmm. When he went after somebody, he was he went after them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he didn't fuck around. <laughs> he was choking you out and then dipping out. <laughs> I mean... He's kind of a good proto Michael Myers. Yeah, I was saying it's it's aggressive. I like it. So that part was fine. It was good. But victims were like, it's just a bunch of dudes who knew better. They didn't listen. And like, I didn't. You got the curse. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Got followed them all the way to England for the relics. (laughs) And once those three were dead, he was going to be done. It's not like this was going to continue. 
Right, and then they were just taking out those that fucked up the tomb. Right, the desecrators. And I would imagine he was probably taking whatever relics, artifacts, everything he could collect and try to take it back to Egypt. But honestly, if some of those artifacts didn't pertain to Karnak, he also might have just fucked off. Oh, damn, that was kind of fucked up. With, that's, I think that's how that conversation kicked off a little bit with Peter Cushing and Mehmet because Mehmet and Peter Cushing were talking about Karnak. Mm. And that's when Peter Cushing was like, oh, that's like a third-tier god. No one really cares about that. He's like, oh, you fucking yeah. up now, son. <laughs> it's like, yeah, except for the people that worship that god. Like, gods get worshipped, so yeah. he mattered to somebody. Yeah, bro. Keep on talking. See what happens. Are you a th- third-tier god? <laughs> That's right. Do you know about third-tier gods? <laughs> you might find out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, lucky you don't know about the second, first-tiers, but... Well, and at that point, like, <laughs> Cushing might have made it out alive. He was the one that slipped up during that conversation and let it be known that he was also on that expedition. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, let me see. Oh, cool. What is it, 20th dynasty? Mm-hmm. 19th. Oh, yeah. I'm a fucking retard. <laughs> Fuck my life. It's like, okay, dude. Yeah, he knew. I don't know if it still rivals maybe my favorite moment from last week I already mentioned. It's like, it's a similar name. What was his his name last week? Boris Karloff, his his Egyptian name. Oh, it's um different bay. Um, yeah, it was it was something similar. Ardeth Bay. Okay, Ardeth Bay. Yeah, so when Boris Karloff as Ardeth Bay just pretty much shows up at the house, calls those guys. I was like, I know you got the scroll. And that guy just kind of does <laughs> I still like that. That was, still might be my favorite moment out of both of these films. He just called them the fuck out. I guess that was the other thing, though, that I guess was just kind of disappointing about this one after watching the 32 one. Dude. Maybe it wouldn't have been if I hadn't watched them back to back like this. But, like, right. in the first Mummy, the Mummy is a credible threat all on his own. Yeah, he's quiet stalker, killer. And he's in control. Yes. Like, this mummy is a zombie with a different group of brown people. Essentially, yeah. I mean, that's what he is. He was given the task of protecting the tomb of the princess, so he could be viewed as a golem as well, perhaps. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, eh, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I like the mummy being the threat. Yeah, dude. Not the fact that this dude can control the mummy. It was kind of I like the mummy being the threat, not the weapon. Right, exactly. I was like, the mummy was more of a proxy character because they happened to break into the princess's tomb. Any other tomb, that would have been fine. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. You know, we don't know. But in this case, he was watching over her. It was going to happen regardless of who broke in. That's what I got for this one. Yeah. No, like I say, it was still fun to revisit. It was fun to visit these films and kind of see what some of the fuss is about, you know? I would still say right now Universal's version has the upper hand. I agree. As much as we um, like Hammer, you know? Although since this was a combination of all four of the Universal yeah. ones, it means that maybe those other ones get kind of dumb too. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no. I can't speak on them right now, but it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe one day we'll we'll go back to yeah, those. Time. But I think I'm we, haven't, we haven't decided exactly what we're doing next week yet, but it's probably not going to be 30s or 50s old. I know. <laughs> yeah, we went back in time a little bit. But that was fun. It was still No, cool. it was fun. It was a good little jaunt. We're going to go figure out what we're going to give to you next week. But until then, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. out.
Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.